0: Welcome in to another episode of the Return of the Roar podcast. Frankie Cardicelli, Chris Watkins, as always, joining us. Two very special guests who have become regulars on the program. Always fun when they're joining us. Matt George of ABC10 and of the Locked on Kings podcast. Uh, Also joining us, Brendan Nunes of Kings Pulse, Kings Beat. Man who does a million, and when I say a million, I literally mean a million different spots uh, for Kings coverage. So if you're if you're tuning into any Joe Schmo podcast, chances are you're going to hear Brendan Nunez, gentlemen. <laughs> thank you so much for joining are we us. a Joe it's Schmo podcast. As, as <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a bad show, Brendan will be on. <laughs> No, I just mean good, bad, average. You know, it don't matter. I think you know? there's a Joe Schmo out
1: there in this world, a guy named Joe Schmo. Oh, that's for sure. sure. F4 F-O catches he, heat all day. Or did day. he
2: trademark
1: that? He's just rolling it, it, in cash. There's a lot of people that
2: name their sons crazy things that right. should not go with their last name, and some of them are NBA coaches. It's, it's crazy.
3: It's crazy. I'm going to name my son LeBron
0: lebron cardicelli cannot wait uh the chosen one uh again i i promise everybody this is actually off to a better start than the last time we tried to start recording so uh we're just gonna we're just gonna keep this rolling uh we are recording on Thursday morning, uh, so we do not officially know the All Star Reserves, um, which will be announced tonight at seven. Or I'm sorry, at seven o'clock Eastern, four o'clock Pacific time on TNT. Uh, we will learn the fates of Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, uh, whether or not they will be in Salt Lake City uh, come mid February. Uh, I think I should just kind of lay it out there Uh, for those who don't know to be announced will be two backcourt members, three frontcourt members and two wildcards from either position. Um, It seems pretty much at this point that it's a lock. I'd be incredibly surprised if if Sabonis doesn't make it. Is, Is there any qualms about that? Anybody feel like there's any potential for Sabonis not to make it? Brendan? Who has a no. smirk on his face?
2: Brendan, yeah. no. It just felt like typically where that would be my line, but absolutely yeah, not. Definitely. Absolutely yeah. not. I, I gave was... Domas an A+, plus. okay?
3: Okay, yeah. Professor Brendan gave Domas an A+. <laughs> but no, I was telling you guys before in the before we started recording that we'll get into some Twitter beef stuff in a minute, I guess, with, with right. Matt. But I I do have receipts that I saved from people saying that Sabonis was on a lock for the All-Star game. So I'm looking forward to unloading those today. But yeah, I mean, he's got to be a lock. I mean, if he doesn't make it, I don't really know. Who would get in over him? I guess maybe Aaron Gordon would get in over him. But I just don't see that happening yet. Um, he should have been a starter.
0: Should have been a starter. He really should have been. I mean, it's kind of, it makes sense that Zion, popularity-wise, makes it. He had a nice first half of the season, but like it, it's it's pretty insane to me that, that they gave the nod to Zion. It's, it seems Zion over Sabonis, if I had to guess. Um, Frank, how, how old are those receipts that you, uh, that you've been holding on to? Uh, I have some from
3: early December and I have one from like the last week in November that someone just said, it was like a quote unquote crazy statement to say that Sabonis could be an all-star when how stacked the West front court is. And I think that was at a time where Sabonis is going through like his crazy, well, I mean, he's been playing crazy all year, but it was like his first stretch where he came out of a slump. I think it was like a ten game stretch where he averaged 21, 15, and nine or something. Um, and I just responded, bookmarked, and he said, "Cool, like I'll see you there, like with like two beer glasses, like like cheering." He's like, "Can't can't wait." So today I was telling them, "You keep a lookout. I'm just gonna respond high when all stars are announced." But yeah. the biggest debate, so bonus is a lot. We can we can all agree on that. But the biggest debate right now on on Twitter, and I think a, a, a large component of that argument has been. Matt George getting into it with uh I don't know if that guy's a Blazers. Is he a Blazer? Does he cover the Blazers or just like a basketball fan? But the De'Aaron Fox Damian Lillard conversation, which is also again hilarious to me, because I was texting Chris last night. Very, yeah. They're probably I mean, to me, in my mind, and again, you're probably gonna be people that are listening to this are gonna know already, but they're probably both gonna make it. So I don't know why there's arguments about Dame versus Fox. I mean, Devin Booker's missed 20 plus 25 games, I think. So I don't know where you guys stand on that. I mean, again, there's been some, like, whispers from people that Fox is, it looks like he's going to make it. Um, I know that I think James Ham reported with you yesterday, Brendan, on your on the podcast. He's He's been hearing some things. Carmichael Dave said he's been hearing some things. I know he's been connected to the Kings uh, front office in the past. Where do you guys stand on Fox? I mean, again, people listening to this, sorry, we're going to go ahead and just predict here, but do you think that Fox is going to be in tonight? I'll start with Matt. Because you got in the arguments on Twitter. Please, yeah, well, please I mean,
1: it wouldn't, be a, it wouldn't be a night on Twitter without me pissing somebody off. So this time it happened to be, I think he was like a NBA betting or sports betting guy who just decided to respond to me. Because a lot of people interpreted what I said as a shot at Damian Lillard when what I said was if Damian Lillard makes it and De'Aaron Fox doesn't, that's essentially the message you're sending to Fox is – hey, you should be prioritizing your own individual numbers over doing what you need to do to win basketball games, even though a couple years ago when Fox was averaging a career-high 25 points per game was winning Western Conference Player of the Week awards uh, and was averaging a career-high 7 assists a game, which is 5 points less, and which is pretty significant, and the same assists as Dame Lillard is, is putting up right now on a team that's not even in the freaking play-in picture. Like, people were saying, well, Fox isn't winning enough. Fox is on a bad team. So he was never even considered... Like he was not in the conversation two years ago, and now they're saying that De'Aaron should be putting up better numbers compared or to similar to what Damian Lillard is doing. And it doesn't matter that the Kings are almost ten spots above Damian Lillard's uh, Blazers in the West, and I'm not saying that's Dame's fault by any means. Dame also gets a lot more shots up and has a lot more opportunity to score because he is all that the Blazers had, and De'Aaron has been in a position where. He is all that the Sacramento Kings have. And this year, he doesn't have to be that guy. And he's averaging just one point less per game than his career high on a team that is eight games above 500 on the day where all-stars are to be selected. Like, you have to take that context and the regular season context into account. It's an award for this season. I don't care how many uh, all-star games or how recognizable the Damian Lillard name is. Dame is absolutely a star in this league but De'Aaron Fox deserves to be in there just as much as DeMontis Sabonis deserves to be in there because nobody, even the biggest Kings homers like me expected the Sacramento Kings to be third in the Western conference, two games back of second place with a very good chance at securing home court advantage in the playoffs. By the time we reached uh, the all-star selection date, all that should be taken into account to me. De'Aaron Fox should be a lock. It's a shame that he isn't.
0: Brendan, how are you feeling these days? I think it's,
2: debatable um I think that De'Aaron should be absolutely in the conversation I don't know that I'd really be all too shocked either way um I'm expecting him to be there but I'm not going to be shocked if he's not I think the complication is just like who is and is not uh or should or should not be considered because of injuries right like I agree with you like Booker probably not Booker's been out for an extended period of time now he's played 29 games um I feel a little differently admittedly about Anthony Davis, but that also has a difference between the front court competition and the back court competition. Right. right? Like when you're looking at who's this third front court guy for me, it's Laurie Markkinen is, it's the easiest one. Right. I put Paul George next. And then after that, I'm like Aaron Gordon or Anthony Davis was playing like MVP candidate when he was healthy. Um, it's not like he's, he's projected to be back soon if he's not already. Um, So I think that's where some of the uh, conversation gets complicated. But the two other guards, like I think SGA and Ja are the two obvious ones. And then after that, like it's Fox and Dame and Anthony Edwards. And I think that Fox and Dame both have better numbers. So, but I don't know. Are people going to put Booker in the conversation? Are people going to put Kawhi in the conversation? And then that boots somebody else down. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't. I have Fox in. Um, But I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't make it. I I think it's just going to be all about how people go about these, these injuries. And I will say the one argument that I heard that made some sense to me that I hadn't considered before is that like, if somebody's projected to come back, it could look stupid at the end of the year that like someone like Anthony Davis, or I mean, these are bad examples because they're injury guys like Desmond Bain is back now. He has put up, for sure, an All Star season, and it could look stupid if he doesn't make the All Star team at the end of the year, just because he happened to be injured right when the voting started, even if it was a good chunk of it. But that's how this is has worked, you know, and that's why this is all um, all subjective, and there's going to be so much variance among these voters. I think Fox should make it, but the whole injury situation with so many guys in the West makes it complicated.
0: Yeah, let's. I, I wanted to kind of take the the whole list that you you kind of gave there and see if we can come to some form of consensus or see if we can kind of see where the de- debate begins so i think do we all agree here that jaw and shea are pro- probably sga are probably the locks for the for the guards the two mm-hmm. guard spots yeah okay then we have sabonis who we we all agreed uh laurie markinen yeah yep all agree anthony davis nope. as the third forward brendan you, you kind of mentioned maybe no my uh I
2: somehow did not write Sabonis on here because in my mind he's already in this. So uh, no, AD will get put down. No AD.
0: No AD. AD.
1: Ad and LeBron, the the Los Angeles Lakers do not get two All Stars for being a colossal disappointment just because of name rec- uh, ne- recognizability. And I understand if Ad had played the entire hmm. season to this point, maybe the Lakers would be better. But they're not. We can't play a what if conversation when it comes to All Star voting. Ad does not deserve to be an All Star.
3: I think that would come it to was. Paul George, maybe Paul George or or Ag at that point. Then correct if Ad's on in, one of Paul George yeah, or or right. Aaron Gordon get in.
1: I do have a wild card one to throw in that I think shouldn't be just disregarded. And I haven't heard many people talking about it. To me, Jaron Jackson Jr. should be in the conversation because Jaron Jackson Jr. is on, again, the second team in the Western Conference, the second seed in the West, one of the best teams in the NBA period, and is putting up Defensive Player of the Year numbers. And unless we're just going to – and I know the All-Star game is a glorified layup line and it's an offensive showcase, so you're not going to see him block a lot of shots in the All-Star game. But Jaron Jackson Jr. deserves recognition for how important he is defensively, which is a role – that I never expected him to fill. Like, I never expected to see Jaron Jackson Jr. And I know Mike Brown isn't big on block shots, but he doesn't just block shots. He changes shots at the rim and has done that all season long. So I think he deserves to be in the conversation. I don't think he'll make it, but I think he deserves to be there.
3: Fun fact, if he does make the All-Star team, that would make everyone on the top five an All-Star, except uh, from the 2018 draft, everyone on the top five would have been an All-Star, except for one player. I don't know if you guys know who that player would be. But I don't. Okay. Luca what, and what draft? Um, no.
0: Uh, yeah, Chris, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Marvin would be the one. Uh, Matt, I'm curious if so. J- Jaron Jackson did miss like a good chunk of the season as well. Mm-hmm. Like the first chunk he played. He's played 35 games. Is, mm-hmm. is that kind of you think the cutoff then? Desmond Baines played 29, so he has played less games than him. But
1: I mean, I would be okay just because of how good the Memphis Grizzlies are. I would be okay with either one of them getting in. Again, I don't think they're going to because I think there are better individual numbers for players that have played more this season. But I put more weight into the context of how a team is doing during the season sure. than I put numbers on a team that are that is bad. Because, I mean... Every single team has a leading score. Now it's one thing to be a leading score. It's another to do what Dame's doing and put up 40 points and sometimes 50, 60 points. Like I understand the difference between that, but I also think defensive uh, accomplishments are extremely important and deserve to be recognized. Like I don't think an all defensive team is enough recognition for someone who is as important to their team as Jaron Jackson Jr. has been for the Grizzlies. So that's why he's in the conversation. Again, I don't think, jaron jackson jr will make it i think like uh, like you guys said aaron gordon mm-hmm. should be um above him and and a couple others should be maybe above him and more likely will make it but just because he's a de- defensive player more than an offensive player and he's still averaging like 18 points a game or something like that i don't think that should disregard him from mm-hmm. the conversation
0: yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so that third forward spot is kind of we'll give it we'll give it to a Paul George, A. G. Aaron Gordon combo, I guess. Leaving, I guess, the the wild card spots for De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard, Anthony Edwards, potentially Devin Booker, probably not Devin Booker, and one of Paul George or Aaron Gordon. And of those five that I just listed, only two can make it. Who are we feeling, Frank? Go ahead and give give your thoughts. Who who are the two that you project? for uh, for those final two wild card spots. I
3: just think it makes the most sense to have, in my opinion, Fox and Lillard. Fox, based off of the fact that it seems like because of the coaching voting aspect, I think that really plays in Fox's favor. He is the one that gives opposing teams fits every single night. He's a player that sticks out in their minds when you think of what makes the Kings go. I mean, he, what he does in the fourth quarter, I'm sure he acts as a thorn in every team side that he comes across. I mean, even last night against the Spurs... Another ten point fourth quarter. We've come to expect it. But I think the conversation with Fox also is, we kind of talked about already, but if not now, when? And I think that people know around the NBA and in league circles, coaches, what have you, De'Aaron Fox has been deserving to be an all-star for a while now. And maybe he hasn't played as well over the past two years and he's missed some time, but uh, this year, there's not really a debate. He's been healthy. He's been playing uh, well. He's been shooting the basketball well. He's 50% from the field. He leads the the three we were talking about: Booker, uh, Booker, Fox, and Lillard in games played by almost ten games. I mean, he has been very available, and it, it's it just put, raises that question of if not now, when? I think he's gonna get the votes to get in. I think that what we're hearing from guys that know things, James and Dave, who have been connected um, with King stuff countless times, that I think maybe that there's a maybe they got a hint. I don't know. Maybe there's already word out that Fox got the votes, but I think that he deserves it. He should be in. Maybe it's a biased take. I don't know. But then also, to me, the other wild card, it's the All-Star game. And I think Damian Lillard is somebody that has the respect and deserves it. I think maybe Aaron Gordon could be a guy next year that could be, like, in that Fox conversation things, like where he deserves it. He's been due before. Maybe he'll get his due next year. But to me, I think it's Damian Fox, which is why I think it's ridiculous people were arguing on Twitter about it. But, again, if you're listening to this, you know if I'm wrong or right. But I think it's Fox and Lillard. Brendan. I also think Fox and
2: Dame, but I worry that I worry about Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. He's day to day. And Anthony Davis was legit MVP candidate when he was playing. It's not like there's like I I mean day to day is an improvement based on the everything we were hearing before. If I have no clue, it's like he should be back at any point. Uh Booker, not so much because it's reevaluated in a week, I think is the last update. And reevaluated could mean anything. Jaron Jackson Jr., I think is a great shout. Aaron Gordon doesn't really do it for me. I think Anthony Edwards is just a little worse. I mean, he's been playing great as of late, but worse than Fox and Dame. Um, so I worry a little bit about Bain, maybe Jaron Jackson. I thought that was a great shot by Matt and um, AD,
1: but I, I think it should be Fox and Dame.
0: Mateo. Yeah,
1: it's Fox uh, Dame and me or for me or Fox and Anthony Edwards for me. But, um, I mean, the, the reality is with Fox and the, and the reason why I say he's a lock is because it's not just the fact that like the Kings went from not in the play to third in the Western Conference. And I've hit that nail on the head a million times. But it's 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 if you look at how significant De'Aaron is in clutch time in clutch stats, which is he's the, the front runner for clutch player of the year. Right. his, his he's shooting over 60 percent in the clutch. Like he leads the league in clutch offense, not necessarily points scored in the clutch. I think it's LeBron who leads the league in that. Uh, But he is, I mean, in terms of clutch efficiency, he's at the top of the list. He is directly responsible for so many of these Kings wins. Even if you say, well, DeMontis Sabonis carried the load for three quarters, fourth quarters, close game. It's De'Aaron Fox closing every single time. I mean, that is significant to where I... A tr- I put wins. Like if you're, if we're talking about comparison again between Fox and Dame, Dame time is clutch time. And De'Aaron Fox is quite uh, literally better at Dame time than Dame or anybody else in the league at this point. And that has directly re- rela- or, like, resulted in wins. If the Kings were a- a hovering around 500 team and Fox was still the leader in, in, in clutch points, I don't think that could be ignored or clutch efficiency in scoring. I don't think that could be ignored, but it's not the same thing because there aren't as many wins that can directly be pointed to Fox's efficiency in the fourth quarter. The Kings have the wins. Fox has the wins. The Kings are one win shy of last year's total. And it's February 2nd. They did it on February 1st. Like that cannot be ignored. So Fox is an absolute lock for me. I think Dame has put up. Such ridiculous numbers and so many highlight plays, despite being on a terrible team that he deserves to be there. Plus for like show factor alone, we know Dame can pull up from half court at any point and hit a shot in the all-star game. Um, so I think he deserves to be in there, but I I mean, Anthony Edwards, in my opinion, is an absolute star. It's only a matter of time for him. So if he gets it this year, great. If not, he's going to get it probably in the next year or two. You know how I feel on AD. Um, I I understand the great numbers that he was putting up. He has been MIA this season injury wise, just like he's been so many seasons in the past. So I don't think AD deserves to be there. Um, And also weighing the Lakers situation uh, heavily into that as well. So long way of saying, yeah, to me, it's, it's Fox and Dame or Anthony Edwards gets in there. I have no issue with that.
2: The clutch numbers are for sure his best argument. Like he's been so phenomenal in that aspect. Um, I think it was Jason Anderson tweeted yesterday, last night was his 15th double-digit fourth quarter of the season. And I think D'Lo had like 15 in the fourth quarter last night against Warriors. People were making a big deal out of it. And like, that's a great performance. That's like, De'Aaron just does that. That's not even an outlier. You're expecting it at this point. You know, he had, I think, eight points in those first three quarters that first game against Minnesota. He has 21 in the fourth. And that was in a loss. But like to Matt's point, a lot of times these aren't um, all – just for for nothing like they're leading two wins i think the clutch argument is the best thing for sure if he doesn't make it it'll weigh heavily and and cause sleepless nights you know
1: well and also nice reference also if you look at the last three games that fox has played he scored over 30 points in two out of the three and the third one was 29 points like Fox is capable of being this guy. He could do it anytime yeah. he wants to. The thing is this season he doesn't have to, and it's not in the best interest of the Sacramento Kings to go out there and stat hunt and to and Dame or Fox can put up the numbers that Dame is putting up this season. He could, he's, it, it, I don't think it would be that difficult for Fox to average 30 points a game, but he doesn't have to, he does not need to for the Sacramento Kings to be successful. And I would argue if Fox were out there trying to score more than, play efficiently and save his energy for the fourth quarters. When it comes to winning time, like he is, I would argue the Kings would be in a worse position right now than they're at. And again, that, that should be taken into account when you're talking about all-star
3: guys. Uh, last thing, Chris, now you got got to put your picks in, oh, but good. I'm as tired of seeing Darren Fox on these lists of all mm-hmm. these great players that have been all-stars or have multiple all-star appearances. He's on all these lists mm-hmm. and Brendan mentioned fourth quarter scoring and De'Aaron Fox is tied for the second. He's tied for second right now in most games with 10 plus points in the fourth quarter. The players ahead of him are all perennial multi-time all-stars. Some of the best players in the game. Fox has scored 10 plus points in the fourth quarter, 16 times. That's tied with DeMar DeRozan, who's been an all-star, I think four or five times in his career. Then you have Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, and Giannis with 18. I'm as tired of seeing Fox on these lists. Oh, by the way, Fox is tied with LeBron James for that as well. This All these lists, and also I think he's one of three players in the league averaging 24 and 6 on 50% shooting. I think the other two are Jokic and LeBron. He deserves his flowers. He deserves his – I mean, I'm thinking about the Mike Conley thing. I don't want it to be a case of De'Aaron Fox has a great career, and eight, nine years from now, Fox is 34, 36 years old, wherever, however old he'll be, and they're like, okay, we got to get him in at least once as the third injury replacement. That's just not who he is. He's better than that. So well and
1: and keep people keep moving the freaking goalposts when it comes to De'Aaron Fox. And the reason why they move the goalposts is because of where he plays. Like that's the reality of the situation. Fox would have been in or would be a lock if he played in a different market than he does in Sacramento.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the Mike Conley thing super interesting, especially when you consider that coming out or coming into the draft, that was Mike Conley was De'Aaron's number one comp. Like, you know, his his number one pro comp was Mike Conley. And it does kind of seem like De'Aaron, Matt mentioned that he, he did have a previous season where he averaged 25 points per game and still was kind of right on the outside looking in of the all-star And, you know, even now that the Kings finally have success, he's putting up those numbers still kind of finds himself along the fringe. I think um, Mike Conley is a, is a really interesting and and really, you know, good comparison to bring up Uh, to, to add to the, the clutch time uh, conversation with De'Aaron. He's number one right now in clutch time points, 119, number one in uh, field goals made 48, number one, in field goals attempted number one in field goal uh, percentage as well. Like, the, the dude, to, to Matt's point, like he just continues to show up in the fourth quarter when the Kings need it the most, and I think that is is his number one reasoning for why he should be an all-star, and then you throw on the fact that this team is the number three seed in the Western Conference. Um, the question that I have is, with the current list, assuming AD doesn't make it, the Kings are the only team in the Western Conference that would have multiple all-stars. Does that seem like a thing? That will happen. And I know by, you know, by saying Fox will make the all-star, yes. But, you know, I just have a tough time seeing that maybe that's where a Jaron Jackson might slip in. You know, it can it makes a lot more sense for me and from a, a generic basketball conversation that you have. The Memphis Grizzlies get two people or, you know, Frank mentioned Aaron Gordon potentially slipping in with the Nuggets, having a one or two seed. Now, granted, the Kings are a three seed in the Western Conference, I argue that that with the the huge turnaround and with the the spirit of what it means for the Kings to be in such a good position that they would be deserving of having two all stars. But I think. Uh, That thought maybe creeps in to, uh, you know, I I don't know if it's going to necessarily hamper people from voting for Fox, but I think definitely some of, oh, they already got Sabonis in, maybe we should give the nod to Dame and to Anthony Edwards or something. I don't know if that's necessarily going to sway the vote enough, but I think that that, you know, pretense might be in some people's mind. Um, I feel like we've talked a lot about all-star and people are already going to hear about it. So we should probably move on. Yeah. Um, I'll just are say, we, are we really skipping on
2: Harrison Barnes, by the way, or
3: <laughs> you know what's funny? I Googled just trying to pull up like a list of how many Kings have made the all-star team and everything. And if you type in Sacramento Kings, I think all-star or his all-star history or something, Harrison Barnes came up on Google search. Just Harrison Barnes Just like his picture profile. I'm like, I don't, I don't, know what is going on here is this kind of like a narrative we're missing that Harrison Barnes should be an all-star because
2: Chris has probably written many articles throughout the years that really help that SEO
1: yes I'll I'll just say really quickly Chris I think what you just said was an excellent point I'm not going to go into any further answer that that. question because we got to move on but I think that's a very very good point and it's the same way that people might not vote for Nikola Jokic's three three straight time MVP because of who who he would join We're talking about some of the greatest of all time, and I think Jokic will be there at the end of his career, but there are people that are not going to vote him as a three-straight-time MVP because of the historic Mm -hmm. context, so that's an excellent point to bring up. No,
3: For sure. It's why LeBron doesn't have, like, seven, eight MVPs. I mean, you can't tell me LeBron James has not been the best player in the league. I mean, I'm sorry. What, he has four MVPs? Like, that's it? Over a 20-year career? That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Ridiculous.
0: No, agreed. You can, It's you know, it might not be a popular thing to say here, but like Kobe, same thing. Like Kobe has one MVP. You're telling me Kobe Bryant was the best player in the NBA for only one season. It's kind of crazy. It's ridiculous. Uh, Let's move on to uh, the Kings winning back-to-back games here. They have uh, defeated the Minnesota Timberwolves on, was that Monday? Uh, In overtime, 118-111. They split. The little mini series in Minnesota. The Kings are now two and zero in overtime games this season. Uh, They also followed up with a win last night on Wednesday in San Antonio against the Spurs, 119-109. That one was in regulation. Fox and Sabonis both end up with double 30-point double-doubles in that one. Malik Monk seems to uh, be back to his old ways in the past three games, averaging 18 points a game, shooting like 66% from the field, 55% from three. Uh, any big takeaways from from the, uh, the last three games here from the Sacramento Kings, or is it mainly just the fact that, yeah, Malik Monk seems to be back? Frank, go ahead and take that one. Yeah,
3: I'll just kind of start with something we kind of talked about earlier was what impressed me about this Kings team is the fact that they have done a good job of limiting the damage. When they start losing games, they really don't want the kind of ball start rolling and, and snowball. They, they put a stop to it, and they lost two in a row. They've done it a couple of times this season. Other than the first four games of the year, and they started owing 4 they've done a good job of getting back on track, and that's what we're seeing right now. They're winning games. They should win. Is it pretty? No, last night's, last night's game was, to me, I, I, wanna, I don't want to say I was concerned, but when the Kings are struggling to put away a Spurs team yeah. that is missing a lot of people, uh, Devin Vassell was out. They lost Sohan. They lost Jones. They were very shorthanded down the stretch. But the Kings were finally able to dig deep and, and pull it out and, and do it, I mean, with guys like Malik Monk and and um, obviously Sabonis and Fox that were doing what they were doing, but they were doing it without making the threes. They they could not make their threes. They haven't been able to make threes the whole road trip so far. I think over the three game stretch, they're shooting under 30% to begin this road trip. 20%. And that's just not how this team is. And I think, Brendan, you had a stat last night. What was it when the Kings shoot a certain percentage from three?
2: If they make 10 or less threes, they were three and nine, now improved to four and nine. It's crazy. Coach had talked about like the team needs to learn how to win ugly. I think that was something we heard earlier in the year. (laughs) And I think that's exactly what like last night was, you know, I I think that they could, there were moments, they could have been better defensively, but I think that you need to be able to win when shots aren't falling. Like I'm surprised at how often this team is not able to shoot. It's not often, but it's still more often than I thought it would be for the amount of shooters that this team has. But for Fox and Domas to carry them the way that they did was just superstar stuff from both right. of those guys and I, I think my biggest takeaway from these last two games is that De'Aaron got robbed from being defense player of the game two games in a row I love <laughs> rewarding Malik but De'Aaron was so good defensively in both of these games I thought I thought that he set the tone on that end um, De'Aaron has a thing against rookies I swear I swear every year when De'Aaron is up against a rookie he just totally schools them and you saw that on both ends of the
1: floor last night. Like Malachi Branham, no chance. No he remembers. Chance. He remembers what John Wall did to him, his first meeting against John Wall when he was a rookie. That was his first ever start, and John Wall cooked his ass, and it was like a, a, a matinee game in Sacramento. It was bad.
2: Yeah. And now De'Aaron's the vet doing that to yep. other people. Um, yep. So, I, I think that defensively, he has been so good recently. And that point of attack defender setting the tone for the rest of the defense, I think, is so important. Um, not to downplay Malik, I think that he was a lot better there. And I like rewarding a guy when he's shown so much improvement because we've seen De'Aaron be this guy before. But to see it two games in a row, and, you know, that San Antonio game was just carrying over from that second Minnesota one. First game in Minnesota, um, he was kind of getting torched by De'Anthony or, um, by D'Angelo Russell in that first quarter. And then you saw Anthony Edwards have his third quarter. He came out in that second game in Minnesota and was like, this is not happening tonight. And I thought put the clamps on D'Lo, made things difficult on him. And then it carried over again into that San Antonio game. So I, I thought that was probably my biggest takeaway from these last couple
1: of games. Well, number one, back-to-back games against the same team sucks, unless it's the playoffs. So we I, I know the NBA's leaned heavily on that this year. They're playing the Rockets two straight times for the second time this season, I understand travel wise while you do that, then you come back home and play two straight games against the Dallas Mavericks. If I'm not mistaken, like this sucks. Like I, I don't want to see the same team twice in a row, but that's just my get off my lawn take. And then uh, you got unless, two in a
2: row against OKC this month too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so do better NBA. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Brennan made a lot of really, really good points there. I, I'll say this. The Kings have, when they have won, leaned so heavily on their team success. The amount of times they have won with six guys in double figures, sometimes seven guys in double figures. To me, last night's game showed a, 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 the Kings' ability to win differently or to overcome games where offensively they are not firing on all cylinders like we have come to expect with this group. For three guys to score 75% of your 119 points, that's crazy. And that's great. If the Kings had to rely on that every single night, they'd be screwed, which they have in the past. They don't have to rely on that this season, but on nights like last night on road trips like this, where they're shooting 28% from three point range as a team, you need your stars, Fox and Sabonis to carry you through. And you need them to have a little bit of help off the bench, which Malik monk has been. And like, I'm, I, I'm happy to see Malik Monk stepping up. He's not consistent enough in my opinion to be a real front runner for six man of the year, but we know how important he is to the Sacramento Kings off the bench. When he is on, he was excellent. He also tried to beat John Morant for the greatest dunk this season last night. <laughs> Holy one of the greatest missed dunks in Kings history. He, tr- he went for it and I love every bit of it. Keegan Murray also went for a Tomahawk he and did. turned out to be a really nice assist to Kevin Herter in the corner. Um, So I I was really pleased. I think it it shows the range of ways the Sacramento Kings can win. I think when DeMontis Abonis looks to score, he's impossible to guard because you have to worry about his passing ability and how he gets his teammates involved. If you throw double and triple teams at him, he'll pass out of it as long as he's not turning the ball over in foul trouble. It's literally the only way to stop Domas. So to see him really get his offensive game going, like if I'm a Kings fan, over these last two games, the Kings have shown me everything I want to see. An ability to win, win offensively, you're not at your best. And a performance from your star. like, what What was the criticism we were saying about De'Aaron Fox after the Minnesota Timberwolves lost? Wow, he scored 21 of his 29 points in the fourth quarter. That's amazing. But he had eight points going into the fourth. Like, you need Fox mm-hmm. to be better for four quarters. He was that in these last couple of games with the addition of Domas and the numbers that he's been putting up. No surprise the Kings are 2-1. and one. And I think it's worth pointing out, over this road trip, the Kings are averaging 10 turnovers a game. So even if they're not shooting the ball well, they're taking care of the basketball. That's a major reason why they've been able to overcome the poor shooting.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, the fact that I, I think that we're really starting to see the signs of like the dog days of the NBA season right now, where I think the Kings just hit game 50. So there's 32 games left. We're about 60% done mm-hmm. with the season. Uh, you know, th- this is where to Matt's point, you kind of need your stars to show up. You're not going to be able to get consistent nights from you know Kevin Herter. Uh, you know your your middle link guys, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray has, has struggled in this little stretch and offensively in this little stretch. Um, and, and I think De'Aaron has has absolutely stepped up offensively. And Domas, you saw last night, was what 15 of 20 from the field. Um, their performance last night was just incredible, but to me, yeah, the the biggest sign is that, you know, they're not getting all six guys to, to score over 10 points a game. This is, these are the performances, uh, that are keeping them up in the standings where they're at right now. They need their stars to kind of carry them through this stretch. And, uh, that's really what, what I've taken from these uh, three games is just how good, uh, Darren and, you know, Domas is kind of bouncing back from probably his roughest stretch of play so far right now. But, uh, I, I was very impressed with his performance last night, Matt. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Hi, uh, Matt George, ABC 10 question for, yeah. the, uh, for the whole room. Uh, can anybody explain the Kings being three games over 500 on the road and having a drastically better defensive rating on the road than at home. Can anybody explain that? It's maybe the most unexplainable okay. aspect of this Kings team this year. I love it's, it, but it's unexplainable.
3: It's like something I keep saying is such a great problem to have that they are playing almost like too well on the road. It's outweighing their play at home. But I don't know how you guys feel about it either. To me, I think it's almost like a level of comfortability. Like At home, they just kind of let their guard down. And mm-hmm. the crowd has been incredible this year. The Kings are almost top 10 in attendance this year, which hasn't happened in a long time they're just selling out the place every night. It's loud and they get out to these leads at home usually, and then things kind of get dicey and we've seen them kind of fall apart late at home. And I think on the road, they kind of go into these games knowing they got to be, they got to bear down. They got to be tough and play defense. And we're seeing that on the road, but right now that's something that needs to change because golden one center is a madhouse every night. It's somewhere that needs to be a place that opponents do not want to play. And when you're having when you're playing better on the road, and the kings are right now in line to host a playoff series, will they end up doing that? I don't know, but whether it be a playing game or a playoff series, you need to put that fear in your opponents. They don't want like it was back at Arco. opponents shouldn't want to come here, and I don't know again, like if it's them being too comfortable at home, but that needs a change mm hmm
0: yeah. I mean, I, I, sorry, Brendan. Um, I definitely think it's, it's just kind of, you know, like, like, uh, Frank said, I think it is like a level of comfort at home when you're on the road, you kind of have to create your own energy. And I just think that they've done a good job of, of staying focused and staying locked in, um, when they're on the road, it's kind of funny that, you know, almost like the golden one Center is is almost too good of a crowd that they, they kind of rely on them to, you know, get that energy going and they know that, that the crowd will will kind of feed off of them. But, you know, to Frank's point also like come playoff time. I don't know if being a good road team is going to transfer to playoffs like you. And if it is like, you better be really damn sure that you're a good road team, because if you can't take care of home in the playoffs, Honestly, you're not going to make it past the first round like you really can't afford, especially uh, against an experienced team to drop games at home. And that's the kind of thing that'll that'll get you sent home early. It doesn't matter what seed you are. So uh, definitely something to monitor. But if if they if they are legitimately a good road team, I mean, that's something that can win you a series 100 percent. So that'll be interesting to see kind of how that develops throughout the season. But right now it does look like the Kings are a legitimately good road team which is surprising.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, I agree with the the points of both of you guys. I, I think that, you know, just trying to theorize what it could be, because obviously we don't know, but I, I think that sense of comfort makes sense to me. I think that um, home crowds react a lot to offensive possessions and sure they get up for like the great defensive possessions, multiple efforts, diving on the, on the floor, but like the crowd's not going to react to like your, weak side rotation or just making the right rotations, you know, and I think that's what you need to be locked in on. And we're just seeing it a bit more on the road Um, and, you know, could come back around to hurt you in the playoffs. But I think it's still important to note, like the rest of this regular season is crazy important too. Like this is, we're still talking about three and a half games out of being in the play in four and a half games out of being the 11 seed. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it's just still extremely close in this Western conference and every single game is going to matter we've heard so much about how important home court um taking care of home court is so encouraged by this road stuff but it, it is one of the weirder things for sure i don't i can't remember something like this it's it's weird but it's evening itself out i guess in a way
0: the kings are also a pretty significantly worse offense on the road aren't they which could have something to do with it as well. Maybe that they, Oh God, Matt, no cats, no cats on this podcast, Matt
3: uh, splits uh, on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not drastic, but at home, they average about 118 points per game on the road. They're about 114 and a half. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. The three point shooting. I didn't realize they've regressed to, or I'm sorry. That was the opponents. Sorry. Actually, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Let me back up. we, uh at home, they average 124 points per game. So <laughs> the Ooh, on the on the road, the Kings average 114 points per game. We're looking yeah. at a 10 point difference. So yeah, you're you're I right. And probably. I didn't really realize that.
1: Well, yeah. I think the Kings at home, they shoot the ball really well at home, which is what you should right. do in your home gym. You know how to shoot in that gym. But that also leads to kind of a complacency to we can get away with trading buckets at home. Like there's been a ton of times this season where the Kings have scored 30, sometimes 40 points in a quarter and still give up 31, 32. And that's actually pretty common in the NBA. Why do you think when you see a team that's beaten the crap out of another team and they score 140 points that they've given up 120? Like uh, defensively, you kind of sag off a little bit when you know you're hitting shots and you can't be stopped. And we've seen that at times with the Kings at home. So uh, that's the only explanation to me versus on the road. You have to be a little more scrappy and you have to put together a defensive effort that lets you go on, what was it, a 16 or 19-0 run for them to win in Cleveland at the end? Yeah, Like, the Kings have to be more scrappy on the road. And I'd argue even if it's a little more ugly, it's better for them when they have to play like that.
0: I think so. I mean, that's kind of what that number points out to me is that they kind of know that their shots aren't going to go in at the same rate that they do at home. And so they kind of just need to pay a little bit more attention and focus on the defensive end. I mean, if you're, if you know that you're, I mean, if you score, the difference between 124 and 114 points per game is probably a similar difference from like first in the NBA to maybe bottom 10. Hmm. So if you're a completely different team, when you're on the road, that means that you need to have a completely different game plan. And if that is defend, I can't explain to you why they choose to not, bring that same level of intensity at home, but um, I would say that's probably a good reason why they, they seem to to be more locked in defensively is just because they kind of know that they have to be if they want to win on the road.
1: The Kings have also had a handful of inexplainable home losses, and I don't think they've had a single inexplainable road loss. And that's I think that's a big difference. That's
0: interesting. Too. They've
1: had a lot of games at home where it's like, you probably should win that game. Charlotte, Washington, Washington Atlanta.
0: I mean, Philly the likely, early. Yeah. The, yeah. The and then you, you get on the road
1: and it's like, yeah, they've lost some games on the road and maybe they've lost some games to teams that they, I mean, Atlanta, for example, like they got swept by Atlanta this year, the Kings are better than the Hawks. Right. Yeah. But they got swept by Atlanta this year. So, I, but I wouldn't say that's inexplainable because Atlanta's still a good team and you're on the road. So we haven't, uh, uh, with the exception of like Milwaukee and, and Boston, which I expect like that Kings really haven't gotten their ass kicked on the road yet. Which that is Knicks also, I think,
0: great.
1: Yeah, that's true. The Knicks game wasn't great either, but, no, I but that's one. I that's mean, a one, good yeah. sign. I think that's a good sign to build upon.
3: They had a bad start in that quarter. The Kings outscored the Knicks in that game. I remember they outscored right. them that's second right. through fourth quarters. It was one horrible, horrible first quarter that really just put them in a hole. And that isn't like, that's not a silver lining. It doesn't kind of make me feel much better, but it just shows that they are able to adjust, but they right. just somehow, you know, dug themselves in too deep. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, Again, something that doesn't make any sense. They are literally a better team on the road right now and they kinda they gotta level that out. They gotta take care of home.
2: Which as people that are at these home games, like why? That's so agitating. Why do we why do I have to specifically right. have memories of all these horrible losses? Not all. <laughs> I like, am not saying there's a bunch, but those are miserable experiences. I'm not they gonna work. lie. They
3: were yes, they were absolutely were.
0: It's about cutting them down though. We've we've been through a couple of seasons where it's like Oh yeah, you go through a couple weeks in a row where it's just like, are we going to get one good performance this week? So.
3: Yeah, like the, the multiple nine-game losing streaks was a time that was a time in Kings history that I will never forget. As no, much as I, I, I love my job, didn't love at, it then two years ago.
1: At the fifty-point or at fifty-game mark last season, the Kings lost to Atlanta in Atlanta. It was the middle of a seven-game losing streak. But mm. the Kings have not come. Cl- I mean, their closest they come to a seven-game losing streak was four or oh and four to start the season like that turnaround is nuts which is also why i spent some time on my most recent pod talking about and we'll get into this conversation later on in the year but coach brown is absolutely a coach of the year candidate and should be a finalist at this point just mm-hmm. because of how quickly he's turned this team around but i mean just imagine they clean up some of that stuff at home how i mean they're probably a second seed if they handle their business at home
3: do you know what i just realized This is kind of off topic, but uh, as we transition out of this into all star stuff or all star uh, trade deadline stuff, deadline deadline stuff. Yeah. I I just remembered that the Kings for the Pacers tomorrow. And there's a very realistic possibility that Demonis Sabonis, Tyrese Halliburton, and De'Aaron Fox are all all stars on the floor tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well, there's even a greater chance that 50 50 chance that Tyrese, Tyrese Halliburton and Devonis Sabonis are playing together on one of the All-Star teams, depending on how they're selected. Ooh. And that would – or if Andy and Fox. But those two specifically, can you imagine Tyrese throwing, I don't know, like a lob to Sabonis or Sabonis hitting Halliburton in the corner for a three in the All-Star game? That would just be – the highlights would be gold. I just, yep. I'm already thinking about how gold those would be.
1: If Sabonis is a real homie, he will refuse to set screens for Tyrese Halliburton and not <laughs> pass Tyrese the ball. Do you know that's crazy? Sabonis, Sabonis is a real one. He – I don't even know – I think
3: I don't, I can't name like one time Sabonis had any comments that were headline worthy about the trade. It's just like, he's just (laughs) like, oh yeah, I love my time there. They're good guys. I don't know if he's had a headline worthy comment period. No, it's just, it's just interesting. And
2: it's uh, tomorrow will be four days. No, yeah, four Mm -hmm. days from the
3: anniversary of the Mm -hmm. trade. Mm -hmm. And they both could be all, well, all three people that were directly kind of, I, I guess I want to say the people that were mentioned the most in that trade, which was Fox getting the keys of the offense again, Sabonis being in Sacramento, Halberton and in the, Indiana. They could all be all stars one year. One year anniversary, they're all all stars. We'll see.
0: Jeremy the Lamb game will barely still,
3: missed
2: out. Right, Justin Holiday was right there, but the game will still be the Buddy Hield show,
1: not the All Star game. But one, yeah, the, the Indiana Sacramento game. That's going you mean, to happen. I mean, trade block Buddy Hield for the ninth straight season. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the Kings better be freaking ready for that game, too, because Indiana, especially with Tyrese playing, but Indiana is going to come out with a freaking vengeance because they got embarrassed in Sacramento, and they are a much better team than what they showed in Sacramento. Mm. If I'm the Kings, I'm expecting hell from tip-off because Indiana going to – I think Indiana is playing pissed off, and Tyrese yeah. is, is definitely part of that. And
0: you know they what? They should be pissed off. <laughs> Indiana should be pissed off because they've been playing like butt since Tyrese well, went down.
3: They get Tyrese back today – Against the Lakers, which means bad news for the Kings. Back the Kings have
0: won one game since Tyrese went down. Yeah, they, they beat the Bulls. But the
3: Kings have to play them on the second item of back-to-back. And I don't know what the record is. I want to guess it's like 1-7 in oh, yeah. or 1-6 this year. Facing good. teams on the second item of a back-to-back. The Kings are so bad. Again, the comfortable thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But they are very bad against teams that should be tired. And it's just not the case. So tomorrow should be fun.
0: Do so we think Tyrese plays second night of a back-to-back? Absolutely. Coming off an injury?
3: I think so.
1: Absolutely.
3: It wasn't like a serious – In I think it was – was it a serious – what was it? It was, was elbow-knee. I don't know if it was like a sprain uh, or anything. I strain. think it was, it was hurt
1: feelings, but I'm not sure. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I, think, I honestly think the Indiana Pacers team doctors are going to have to tie Tyrese to a chair to get him not to play in tomorrow night's game. Yeah, well, maybe no he doesn't
2: play. play tonight and plays tomorrow, you know, or right. – I don't know. I, Maybe. I, I don't. You don't want a guy to overexert himself in like an emotional take, matchup, you know? Like take a
3: game off. Take he's game still off. questionable
2: tonight from NBA's injury report: left knee,
3: elbow. Hmm. Carlisle. Carlisle said he's planning on playing the point guard. Okay. Gotcha. Scott Agnes. Fieldhouse <laughs> Files. Um, we'll It'll see. Yeah, we'll but see. what a way to celebrate All Star season than having the two yes. main players in the quote-unquote most. I'm quoting one-sided trade. In NBA in recent NBA history, and they're both going to be All Stars, so it's pretty funny.
1: Here's a transition into the trade deadline game. Yes, this one's going to suck compared to last year, and I'm a hundred percent okay with it.
3: You mean like as far as excitement, or as far it's as the going King's to making be moves?
1: Boring as hell for Sacramento, and that is how it should be.
3: But isn't it a good spot to be in? Because, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I'm just saying from a talk standpoint, like the King's big splash has already been done.
3: Well, then let me let me dive into this. Let me ask. My pal, Chris, let's start with Chris. Let me ask you a question, Chris. Do it Now, what is your greatest point of emphasis on the deadline? What do you want the Kings to do? I know the rumors out there right now, we have listed. The two biggest, like, sourced rumors are Matisse, and mm-hmm. Darius Baisley. Guys that are both known for their length, their defense. So mostly, Baisley, I think he's a forward, he's 6'8". Uh, thibault we know what thibault he's been a, a darling of Kings trade deadlines in the past. He's been linked to them before. Would getting one of, the, of those guys be enough for you to kind of just say let's call it let's call it a day let's call it a deadline or are you wanting them to kind of do a little bit more? Do you want them to push the needle or should they kind of keep this thing mostly intact?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean it kind of feels like marginal moves like that are the way to go, and I would I think I would be surprised if they made multiple of them. It feels like whether it be the backup center or the backup wing position that seems to be the 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 spots that they're looking at. And I don't think that they address both in individual trades, if that makes sense. Maybe they make like just one all-in trade and acquire a wing and a backup big, but I kind of don't see that much movement happening. Um, and the more and more I've been thinking about it, and I'm curious what you guys uh, think as well, is the backup center role really as important as what we've been kind of building it up to be? Because in a playoff series, I've really been thinking about it. Sabonis is going to play 38 to 40 minutes a game, and that requires about eight minutes of backup time. And if Chemezi Metu or Trey Lyles is losing you in those eight minutes, I mean, I guess that's a possibility, but you, you shouldn't be losing your game in the eight minutes that Sabonis is off the floor. Is that, unless you feel like the drop off in backup center is that drastic? Which is maybe a conversation, but how much do you give up for somebody who's only going to play eight to twelve minutes in a given game, or is this on, or is it honestly more important to sure up that position for regular season where you're not going to play Sabonis bonus 40 minutes? You want to give them thirty two to thirty six, um, and so maybe it's. Just, I think it's just kind of a value proposition and where you value that. So uh, you you present me with a question, I then present everybody else with a question without answering your question. Good journalism. Um, <laughs> uh, Matt, go ahead and take that one. Oh
1: crap. Well, no, I, I agree with you 100%. Like I like we're, if we're, if you're bringing in a backup big, essentially the two biggest things that you are addressing, or you're trying to get out in front of knock on wood, God forbid, DeMontis Sabonis gets injured in the final and a uh, final few months of the season, or You're trying to put yourself in a position where you can rest Sabonis as much as possible for 40 minutes a night when he gets to the playoffs. That's essentially what you're addressing. And I understand that, but you're 100% right. If the Kings make the playoffs, Sabonis is playing damn near every minute of that game, just like De'Aaron Fox should be. Sorry, Davion. Sorry, whoever, Chemezi, Trey, whoever it is. Like, sit on the bench. We're here, and these guys need to play almost the entire game for the Kings to have a chance at winning a playoff series. Like, that's the reality of the situation. So... I understand that uh, the like the appeal of a Mason Plumlee understand completely, Mm -hmm. except if they want a first round pick for Mason Plumlee, I'm not doing it. I'm not giving up a first round pick for someone to take eight to 12 minutes a night. And I understand Mason Plumlee can do some of the stuff that DeMontis Sabonis can do, but the reality is no matter who you go out, that is a backup center. They cannot do what only two centers Sabonis and Jokic can do. They can't. You're looking for someone to hold down minutes. And the Kings already have players on this roster that realistically, matchup-wise, can hold down minutes. I really like Trey Laos at the five against Rudy Gobert the other night. I think that can work for eight minutes a game. Jemezzie Metu can at least be a vertical threat when he plays with Malik Monk. That can work for eight minutes a game when you get into the playoffs. So really, if you're addressing that backup center role, you're trying to give yourself injury depth, which I completely understand if the Kings want to do that, but it's not worth spending that much money to, or sorry, th- that much uh, capital. value. Yeah, capital to to to, to accomplish.
2: I agree with Matt up until the these the kings already have eight are guys that can fill those eight minutes that's fair i I like Trey Lyles. I think that's like the one that I'm most optimistic about, <laughs> but like I thought.
0: It's kind of I matchup feel... specific too, isn't it, Trey Lyles?
2: Very, I mean, you did much. it against Rudy, though. You did right. it against well, Gobert. That's a
0: like... perfect matchup to put him on. I mean, that mm-hmm. that I think Trey Lyles is kind of exploiting everything that that Gobert kind of does, unwell, not well. Whereas, like, if you're going against, I don't know, give me uh, who's the who would the Kings play right now in the playoffs? If the playoffs think... ended today. It would be the six and the three seed. It would be the Timber. Oh, well, it would be the Timberwolves. Uh, okay, <laughs> love that. There we, we go. go. Okay, no, let's I, say they play Golden State. Like, is Trey Lyles going to be able to, you know, do the same, have the same kind of impact against Kevon Looney or Draymond Green? I would say probably not because those guys are a little more averse at, at guarding somebody, you know, on the perimeter, quick like Trey, Trey Lyles. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry.
2: I think that you're totally good. I and I agree with you, but I, I think like Trey is the best hypothetical right now, but it's still hypothetical. And I think you could I think you can lose a game in eight minutes. Like two four minute stretches. Like I don't think you should, but I think you can against Golden State for exactly, sure. Against Golden State. Exactly. For sure. Um the drop off is that drastic. Like, I mean, I, I think you could even feel it against San Antonio. Like I thought Metu was really bad in that second half um and it made them bring Domos back in the game earlier i think the biggest thing is for a regular season like you don't want Domas going into the playoffs av- right. like ha- having played 38 40 minutes a night consistently right. leading up to that like i want if Domas has a broken thumb that he feels like he can take a game if he needs to you know um and obviously like they're never going to be the same team without it but I think the whole conversation like it it's important to me to get better because I think there is a drastic drop off right now. I think you can lose a game in 8 12 minutes, but it was never a conversation in my mind where it's like you're ever spending anything more than like Terrence Davis, Alex Len or Rashawn Holmes in like second round picks. Like mm-hmm. And and even then, like I don't know that I'm wanting to include multiple in any of these deals. Like to Matt's point, Mason Plumlee, first round pick. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I don't think there's any. First of all, I don't think that Charlotte's getting that, and secondly, I don't think that King should ever pay something like that. Like it's not so desperate that you have to figure this out. You have to make a trade, um, but I do think that it would help the team a lot. I, I think the biggest want for me is just another guy that you know can play every single night. Like if you're so focused on perimeter defense, like. Matisse Thibel and Darius Baisley, defensive guys, right? They're also guys that like literally are kind of unplayable on offense. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that the Sixers could use some perimeter defense and they're not playing Matisse Thibel very much. Like, I think that says a lot. I would like Matisse Thibel. I think he's a better version of KZ Akpala, but there's going to be some nights where you can't play him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And to me, I would just love one more guy that you know can produce on a nightly basis. I've really come around to Josh Richardson. You could get it done with Terrence Davis, Alex Len. He's expiring. I think he's productive on the offensive end and not a great defender, but a good defender. Um, Like I, I just, I would prefer a guy that you know can play on a nightly basis, even if that's your eighth guy. You know, like if you could get another Trey Lyles level of production, I think that'd be great rather than like so focused on, we need this one specific skill, but then maybe they're, a nothing or a negative on the other end. Like, I mean, that being said, like, I talk myself into Thibault into Basley. There's nights where I think KZ is the move, that it's to go that way. And these guys could just be better options there, Derek Jones Jr. or something like that. Like, so I also, though that's what I would like, but I don't think they're in a position where they have to do something. Like, if
0: they did nothing, I'd feel fine. So would you say necessarily you don't care about position? It, it's just anybody who can add to the rotation.
2: I mean, ideally not like a smaller guard. Like if it's a guard, that's like six, five, six, six. Great. You know, but a, smaller than that, I do care. Like Seth Curry's a guy that's interesting to me, but that's where I'm like, I don't know about position, Positionally, you know, right.
3: Frank. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, there was a, I think it was Chris Haynes and Mark Stein. They were on a podcast well, okay. today that, uh, I do think that Matisse, they're, they would be surprised if Matisse Thybul was moved. I think they were saying the Kings are checking in, but they would be surprised if he's moved overall. So, I got to be honest, the more time that goes by, the less optimistic I am that the Kings might make a move at all. I mean, there are some expiring deals in the roster. I mean, they could. I don't know if, if a buyout or just overall releasing Alex Len is an option, but that's something they could do just to clear a roster spot. I don't know if there's going to be a buyout market. That's, I think someone mentioned that if plumley there is a possibility Plumley could be bought out. That could be a way the Kings bring somebody in. But I mean, also they have guys on, uh, they have guys on 10 days. They, there's, there's that rotation too, but I am not personally expecting any fireworks. I am expecting it to be a pretty quiet deadline. I mean, I think that, the main thing the Kings should do is try to keep this group intact, and put, like preferably positions what one through six or seven on the rotation. I mean, Trey Lyles isn't going anywhere. Um, Malik Monk's not going anywhere. Davion Mitchell, I don't think he will. I mean, he probably would take a pretty significant deal. That'd be like a fireworks sort of, sort of situation. But I think, like we talked about, and Matt said, how it's going to be a boring deadline. It's a good spot to be in, and it's 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 a spot that I feel comfortable in. That the Kings do need to kind of not kind of, but they need to for sure improve defensively. They're up at 20th in the league now. So round of applause, getting to 20th in the league in defensive rating. They're all on the way up. They're all on the way up. Uh, but I don't know. I'm I looking at these, these names on here and, and Brendan, you put out a list a, a day or so ago yesterday. They had that trade exception, which I think is about 4 million and change.
2: Yeah. It's 4 million, uh, 23,000. I think that's the, one of the important things to mention here is that expires on the seventh of this month. like, it's you use that or you just don't have it anymore. And there's a handful of guys that'll fit in the $4 million.
3: Yeah. And, and the guys you have listed here, Derek Jones, Jr. Andre Drummond, Nas Reed, who I don't, I think that they're saying, uh, I can't remember. I read it that he probably won't be moved because they're still in the race, but Kenyon Martin, Jr. Former Kings draft pick Kings. Great. Uh, mm-hmm. Jordan, uh, Jordan, Noah. Am I saying his name right? Nora.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. saying
3: his name, right. Uh, Bates D up from the Spurs last night. Serge Ibaka. That's a name we've heard for a while. Um I don't know how you guys feel about some of these names on this, list, on this list, but I'm might be embarrassing to say it, but if the Kings were going to go for someone that could be a backup center, or just kind of stash there over Alex Lynn, Andre Drummond's a guy that I would not mm-hmm. be fully against. I mean, I really don't know why people have really had, I understand why I think it's kind of like the, the, the stat stuffing aspect of of the majority of his career. I think people have kind of looked at Andre Drummond as a stat stuffer, uh, but he protects the rim. He's long. He's a, a lob threat. He's a rim runner. I just don't know if he'd be the worst thing, but I'm not sure if you guys are interested in any of these guys in the exception, exception field. I mean, Brendan, I guess with you, I mean, is there a name on that list that you would be inclined to seeing the, the Kings go after? I have come around to Andre Drummond a little bit. He does
2: have, um, it's two years, 6.6 about million. Like next year would be a player option for him. 3.4 million. Not sure uh, where he would be on picking that up or not. Like, I think that's a fine try because if it doesn't work, like what did it cost you a second round pick? Like the Kings have nine second round picks at their disposals. They have all of their own minus 26 and 27 is technically locked up in that herder deal. And then they have an Indiana second this year. That looks pretty damn good by the way, when it comes to second round picks Dallas in 24 and 28 and then a Portland 2025, uh, which that Portland one could sneakily be pretty good as well. Um, So like, I, I don't think it hurts to try. You know, you have an empty roster spot that is just sitting there. Like, I'm not expecting Deontay Burton to be around long-term, you know. If you want to try Sergi Baka, I, I don't think Sergi Baka can still play. If you want to try, it doesn't really hurt, you know. Yeah. Like, I think that's fine. I think Kenya Martin, you mentioned, probably more expensive. But, like, that's interesting. Nawara, try it. Derek Jones Jr., try it. Like, I think when it comes to this exception and throwing in your own second-round pick this year, so then all you have is... Um, your own first and then that Indiana second, like, that's fine come around draft time. You know, how often do the Kings end up trading their second-round picks anyways? Right. Like
0: Every time. All
2: the right. time. So time. I, I think that, like, I would try something with with the trade exception because it probably won't cost you much.
0: Yeah. I think the name that sticks out to me on that list is definitely Nas Reed. He seems to have kind of, like, the, the perfect blend to me of he can... Sh- he's shown some ability to stretch the floor but he's also a really big body uh not as good of a rebounder as you would want from someone f- with that body but he you know he, i think he's a big physical presence uh and somebody that i think is still young enough to where you can maybe realistically resign him and uh and you know he can he can be your long-term fit there but uh i think andre drummond is is okay frank you mentioned the stat stuffing elements i think he's uh you know that's not necessarily a bad thing for this team. I think they could use somebody else who can who can be an elite rebounder. He's another big body, not quite the rim protector he used to be, but still um, a big physical presence at the rim. Something that this team doesn't really have at the moment. Uh, th- those are really the two names that stick out to me. But uh, in terms of the overall trade deadline conversation, I'm curious. Uh, I think Frank, you definitely touched on it. Brendan touched on it a little. I think the the problem that the Kings are going to run into at this deadline is just they really don't have much to offer that anyone would want. I think, uh, Frank, you said that they probably shouldn't touch anyone in their one through seven in their rotation. And I completely agree. I don't, I I don't see any of those guys necessarily being moved. I guess maybe you could see a world where maybe Malik gets moved, but I think, I think you even said like that would kind of be the firework move. And even then I don't know what you're getting in return. Uh, like Terrence Davis is is probably the most likely player on the team to get moved. If I had to guess, I don't think people are jumping at all at, uh, you know, trading for Rashawn Holmes on a three-year deal. I don't think you're going to convince anyone that, that that's a, a positive asset for you. So unless the Kings are willing to depart with multiple second rounders, which to Brendan's point, they have been very willing to in the past. I kind of don't know, what move is out there? Like how, how would the Kings even acquire Matisse Stiebel? How would they acquire Mason Plumlee if it's not literally like two or three second round picks? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the Kings really have much value in terms of their, their lower end players. Matt, do you have any thoughts on,
1: I mean, all of this, this is a cop-out answer, but I think he's earned this respect. I think whatever decision Monty McNair makes is going to be the right decision. And if if he decides to stay put, I trust him that that is the right decision. If there is a player out there that is acquirable to use that trade exception to absorb without having to give up too much, then I trust that decision. I know for me personally, I value second round picks as much as I value coupons. Like I'm like, if it takes two, three second round picks to get a deal done, great. Like I, I don't think second round picks matter. Do
0: for you
2: the
1: value coupons, I, Brendan? I mean, stop it! it. Like, right, like, but that, like, Brendan's pointing to Jemias Ramsey, but that's just it. Like, I know teams have used the second round pick far more effectively than the Sacramento Kings have in the past. Robert Woodard, my guy, I love Robert. Been on my podcast a couple of times. Like, I understand, but the reality is that's what a second round pick is. It's taking a flyer on someone at the end of your bench that you maybe can develop, and the Kings are not in a position right now. Hopefully, they'll be in a couple of years. They're not in a position <laughs> right now <laughs> to develop me. talent. Like unless they're sending it down to Stockton and hoping for the best. Like I, I, I second round talent to me is is doesn't matter to me.
0: So I don't know. I'm the absolutely- Keys have drafted some pretty good second rounders though in their day. I mean if you Just look at Isaiah, the ones that right? he's traded off, there's Xavier Tillman, there's yeah, uh, Kenyon Martin Jr., there's. Jalen Hart or Jaden Hardy, Jaden Hardy Hardy Hardy. draft this year. Like those are all guys, in my opinion, that Gary Gary Jr. Jr., Those are all guys, in my opinion, that could have cracked a uh, a rotation. I think it's just they honestly (sighs) don't get like the last second round pick that we realistically saw get a shot at playing was Frank Mason.
3: Yeah. And the last one that the Kings actually hit on was Isaiah Thomas, (laughs) which was was over a decade. Over, it's 12 years ago now.
1: And I understand that, but I, and I just don't think a second round pick should be where you're hesitant to pull the trigger if it makes oh, a move sure. that realistically helps you today. That being said, sure. like if that move is not out there, then that move is not out there and it's fine. Like You have yeah, to be sure. very conscious of what effect your move and who is leaving is going to have on the state of this team. I think trading Malik Monk at this point would be a disastrous decision. Because Malik Monk is such an important piece of this re- locker room, the same way I'd say about Harrison Barnes, the same way I'd say about most uh, nine, ten guys on this roster, I would be hesitant to trade Matthew Vadova at this point for what he means to this team. That being said, Deli has no value. I understand that his market's mean- hot, Monk. Matt. His He's market's fine. hot. Well, every every fan base doesn't realize they want Deli, but they do, and that's that's an absolute fact. But like, that's my point is. If you're going to bring someone in, it's going to be a minor move that helps you. Someone who's a plug-and-play type guy. But if that guy is not out there for the price that you want to pay, then you stay put and you're fine with it. This team has gotten you this far on their own, and I understand wanting to maximize where you're at being a third seed and that these final 32 games are going to get more difficult. Everything after the All-Star break is going to get more difficult for the Kings to maintain where they are, and it would be nice to have help. But if you don't acquire help that is the right move, it is fine. And I think there are going to be some Kings fans if the Kings stayed put that would melt down and go, Monty McNair, what the hell are you doing? You're wasting this opportunity. No, if the right move is not out there, you do not pull the trigger. You already made your fireworks move. You already did it, and it's put you in this position. Trust okay. the roster that you've assembled.
0: Let, let's let's ask this question to the group then. Let's get a final consensus. Do the Kings need to make a trade? If they are going to win a playoff series, no, can they no. win a playoff series with the current constructed team? Yes, I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say. And yes. obviously, that's that's opponent dependent, but of course. you know, based off of the that's, caliber
3: of team. That's the thing. It's it's depending on who they play. Yeah, I mean, oh, I think actually. the Kings do have the depth to win a playoff series. I they do have the depth to. I mean, we're, they're going to see Dallas next week. We're going to get an idea of what it would look like if it was a 4-5 or five against Dallas. They, they've they played Minnesota pretty well. I mean, obviously, they're missing Carl Anthony Towns, so we're going to have to see them later in the year to see how they really match up. But uh, the Suns are still in shambles. Last night's game was disastrous for the Suns. I don't know if you guys got to catch that bloodbath. Uh, if, if they were to somehow face a team like the Jazz or the, or the, the Blazers jumped up... Um, I think the, I feel good about it, but if the Kings are to fall and play Denver or Memphis, or if the, the Warriors really get hot and reestablish themselves at the top of the West. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel a little skeptical, but uh, they're good enough to win a series. I don't know if they're good enough to sweep a series, but they're going to have to claw their way in my mind to a six, seven game series win. Absolutely.
2: I think my hesitation has nothing to do with like, if they should or should not make a trade. I think it's just a lack of playoff experience. I think they're mm-hmm. good enough to, um, I don't know that there's any like trade that doesn't involve Keegan Murray or Harrison Barnes, which I don't think is really on the table that makes it like a easy yes for me. Um, so I-, I think that they are capable and I don't know that there's any trade that I think is realistic. And of course, you know, I didn't, nobody thought they would trade Tyrese. Like you really never know what this runoff is like would you know is if Pascal Siakam became available or something then would they put Keegan on the table who knows like um but I I don't think I think they're good enough too. um and I don't know that there's any move right now that doesn't involve any of the obvious two stars or Harrison Martins or Keegan Murray that would make it like an easy yes for me
1: this rephrase the question this way please is someone who is a four million dollar a year player to be absorbed in the trade exception or an eighth or ninth man in the rotation, the difference between the Kings winning or losing a playoff series? The answer is no. Like, it's not. Like, and if if, if it is, if that player is, then the Kings are not in as good of a position as we expect them to be, which could be the case. But the Kings are going to win a playoff series based off of what two guys do and how five guys support those two. That is how they're winning a playoff series. Even if the Kings have home court advantage, the expectation should be that the Kings have a very good chance of losing that playoff series for exactly what Brennan said. They've not been there before that and defense. Like these are the two major playoff experience and defense. I'd argue are two of the most important things to this a successful team. And a lot of teams, the Boston Celtics, the golden state warriors, to some extent have to go through losing in the playoffs, playoff struggles, in order to, I mean, even the the Phoenix Suns were red hot, made it all the way to the NBA Finals, did not win. Like, this is what it takes. You almost have to lose. I almost expect the Kings to lose and build off of that. I think that's what's True. next in the evolution of this team. And that all has to do with, especially, guy, I'd say, guys one through four. For more, so guy number eight is not going to be that big of a difference maker for me. That's why I'm okay with the roster staying put. Now, if there's the right move out there, absolutely make it. And if you want to go for it this year, and if it's there, I say go for it because it's fun. Like, we love it. But it's not that big of a difference maker, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I might be going back on what I said earlier about the center thing, but I do think that there is potential that that eighth person could really make that kind of difference especially if we're talking about I mean I I mentioned I don't think it will happen but you know if you throw a Matisse Stiebel into their rotation just the fact that you're able to kind of throw another lineup out there that gives you a different look and maybe Mm -hmm. you can present a different kind of style of play out there that could maybe be the thing that entices me the most but I think you're right Matt like losses in the playoffs not only harden you but they teach you everything you need to know about your team you learn about your weaknesses at, about the parts that you need to address in the off season um so i do agree with you in the fact that you know they're they're probably a, they are unless they win the championship they're inevitably going to lose at some point um and we're going to figure out what those holes are but i i kind of hold off in where i say that I do think that they could still add somebody that brings some real legitimate value and Brendan kind of mentioned earlier how he, the play, the overall experience of the team makes him feel nervous. I think that that could also be something that you address. Maybe, you know, not in a bigger move, but if you bring in somebody who's a true veteran uh, who's been there before and can maybe teach this team a couple things before the end of the season, that could be something uh, that also has impact. So um, that that's kind of what I'm looking for at the deadline. But I, I kind of agree with Frank in the sense of I, I could see us coming to a point where nothing ends up happening. And I do think people would, I guess, fairly freak out. And I do think it would be a pretty massive freak out where we but, would have to do some damage control.
2: I tweeted something the other day of like, how would people react if the Kings said nothing? And I, at least on Twitter, I'm pretty sure it would be a little bit of a freak out.
0: That's just crazy though, because
3: they're not at a point where it's like, Oh my God, they're in the nine ten. They need something to push them forward. And while right. the, while the margin isn't huge between the third seed and the nine ten, they have proven that they can play well enough to be in a position where I don't think people need to worry about if they're healthy, They're going to be, in my opinion, top six, top seven. If they are healthy, if they stay with this roster, knock on wood, no injuries to the main guys, they're good enough to be there. It's not like last year where the team was fringe playing. They needed to do something. They had to, and they did. And like the last three years before, they finished one, two games out of the plan because of injuries or or blowing games or what have you. But this team's good. And the fact that they have the luxury of being in a position where they can choose to make a move or not make a move. It's what you see teams over the years, like Miami or Boston or Brooklyn. And I'm not saying the Kings are as good as those teams, but we see teams all the time, stand Pat or the or, sick or the, the sons a year ago, some teams stand Pat and if the Kings stand Pat's because Monty McNair, who has been very calculated and smart with his moves to this point, he probably likes what he sees from this group and sees that they can improve defensively, which is where they need to improve the most. They need to improve defensively. and, it kind of comes down to the guys that are going to be playing the most. The starting five is going to be on the floor more times than not, especially in the playoffs. They need to pick it up on the defensive end. And if those guys can pick it up, and if the people that are plugging those holes for 9, 10 minutes, Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, Trey Lyles, if they can continue to do their jobs. This team's not going to go anywhere. So I'm not going to freak out if they don't make a move. It'd be fun. It's always fun seeing moves happen and kind of just imagining new lineups and seeing the tweets pop up and seeing the social media reactions. fun. Trade season's fun for that reason. But if nothing happens, it's because the Kings have put themselves in a position where they are comfortable, which we've been saying that word a lot. And then maybe that's not a good thing to, to be, and you don't want to be complacent, but they're in a good spot. And if they don't make moves, it's because Monty McNair feels, feels confident in this group.
1: There's a hypothetical that I have in my brain, which I could spend a whole podcast on. So we'll kind of squeeze it in here at the end. But Like, I understand fan freak out from the standpoint of, like, the Kings are in this position. We haven't been in this position forever. We want to solidify this position. But let me ask you this. If it's how much do you value home court advantage in the playoffs, which is significant. Like, it could be the difference between the Kings winning and losing their first round series. I understand that completely the rea- like looking at this team they're not going to make it to the nba western uh, nba finals and they probably won't make it to the western conference finals i feel very confident saying that for experience alone now hopefully they shock me and surprise me and prove me wrong and i'd love to be proven wrong but i would i would feel pretty pretty confident saying that right now just like i'm pretty confident this team is going to end up a sixth seed regardless of what happens at this trade deadline but if we get into the final 2 weeks of the season right where we know the kings have clinched a playoff spot But there's only a two or three game gap between four, let's say they're at four and five, which drops them out of home court advantage. If the Kings were to take those final handful of games and rest Sabonis and Fox, gearing them up for a deep playoff run at risk of falling out of home court advantage, is that the right move to make or not? Or do you risk bringing a tired roster into a home court advantage playoff series? Because to me, that hypothetical should be discussed and should be worried about more than what the Kings do or don't do at this trade deadline. Because again, every success that the Kings have or failure that the Kings have in the playoffs will fall squarely on the shoulders of Fox and Sabonis and the main supporting cast around them. That's where the team is at right now.
0: I would say probably if their road if their road record is as good as is trending as it is right now I think that that makes it a little bit easier to swallow because you could probably convince yourself hey we're a really good road team it's we're still playing the same caliber of team because you're still going to get that four to five matchup let's bank on ourselves being a really good road team and and hopefully that can make up the single game I think Yeah, I think it's an interesting proposition because especially with how much Fox and Sabonis are going to have to play if they don't make a move, um, it's super interesting. I don't think that they would actually make that move, though.
1: I agree. I think they'd play them out and just figure it out.
0: Last thing. um, According
3: to the playoff probabilities on basketball reference, I'm not sure how credible these are. It is a simulation. I think it is a 10th. 10,000 simulations the remainder of the season, including the playing around. The Kings are currently projected to finish third in the West, 47 and 35. They have a 97.4% chance of making the playoffs. And a number I don't know if I fully agree with, a 79% chance of winning the division. I don't know about that. But also 6% chance winning the finals. So you're saying there's a chance.
1: I'll take it. You know, like if the Kings finish with 47 wins, a 17 win improvement year over year, that is insanity.
3: Coach of the year. Mike Brown That's coach of the ins-sanity. year. Insanity. Monty like, executive of the year.
1: Like think All about the things that we're worried about right now compared to where we were at at the beginning of the season. If someone said the Kings were projected to finish 17 wins over the season before that. With no it. firework move this year. Here's That's something. Insane.
3: If they win tomorrow in Indiana, they match last year's road win total with essentially half of the season to go. A little less than half the season to go. But they will match last year's road win total if they win tomorrow.
1: I'm not saying the Kings should be complacent and should waste an opportunity to improve and make a deep run at the trade deadline if they can do it. But if the Kings make the playoffs as a third or fourth seed, it's house money. No matter Mm -hmm. what happens in the playoffs, it's house freaking money. And Game 1 and Game 2 at the Golden 1 Center, even if those are the only two playoff games, which I don't think they would be, played at the Golden 1 Center... Those two games would be more than worth it, and the team will learn from that. Plus, I firmly believe, and I've been consistent with this, even if De'Aaron doesn't like me on Twitter, when (laughs) De'Aaron gets that platform in the playoffs to do what John Morant did to capture the hearts of America, what other exciting guards have done to capture the hearts of America, De'Aaron Fox is going to take his game to another level on that stage that I don't think anybody is prepared for. And then, at that point, he should be a lock for (laughs) all-star conversations for years to come
2: absolutely nope. i guess i'll uh give my final thoughts of i'm all aboard the josh richardson train like <laughs> all aboard I, I think that he it would be a great like eighth guy yep um for terrence davis alex len and i think the reporting i saw i forget exactly who it is um said a second round pick if it takes one uh, sure if it takes two I don't. i don't even really care like do that and then get like get Sergi Baca for a veteran presence that has like, you had those two guys, you had Josh Richardson and Sergi Baca. Maybe Serge can do something at the back of five. You could try. I don't think so, but you could try. Um, but you're getting at least one guy that's part of your rotation and you're getting a lot of playoff experience between those two guys and kind of veteran leadership. So do something so, like that. I know Chris has always wanted a Lopez twin. There's Rolo. Please. Like, please, like, please. love that.
1: Love that. Just to watch him fist fight slams before before every day. Right. right. So if, if the Kings did that okay. and added two players, what happens to the Kings' bench rotation, though? Because Trey Lyles, either Trey Lyles loses his spot or Trey Lyles beats out Serge Ibaka hypothetically for that spot. Because Davion's in there, right? Malik Monk's in there, right?
0: I wouldn't it, be concerned about Serge getting too many minutes. I don't no, think no, Serge no. at this no, point I, in his career is, uh, is eaten up more than 10 minutes a game.
2: I'm I think Trey. Richardson would... Take any minutes that you ever see now from like Terrence Davis or Casey, yeah. mm-hmm. and then you'd see less minutes from someone like Trey Lyles. But you also could just cut off some minutes from Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, and just not need how to rely on those you? guys so much. How In dare. a playoff series, those guys are playing over Josh Richardson easily, but like there's such a heavy reliance on those guys right now. I feel like how dare you,
0: Brendan? I'm just curious what what do you think the main difference is? Because I don't really see one between like Josh Richardson and Terrence Davis.
2: I think that one is just more consistent. Like I I think that Terrence Davis is super erratic and Mm. I think that Josh Richardson can, is that a bit? Um, but I, I think he's a good defender that on some nights can be even better than that. And I just don't know that he's, he definitely, he reminds me of Dante a lot. Um, (laughs) Which I know oh, people have exactly. split opinions on Dante. I loved Dante. I he did too. Um, So like, you know, I think Josh Tristan doesn't get to the rim a lot. And sometimes he'll maybe dribble a little too much into a mid-range pull up. But like, I think you're seeing that a lot more with the context of this team right now. Like, I, I just think that he is not as erratic as Terrence Davis, really. And has a little bit more size.
1: Sure. I think there's a very good chance that Richardson can be the player that looks good without the context of watching him every day. And he comes to Sacramento and we get that context and we go, oh, OK, I get it now. I get it why he's been a journeyman. That being said, that yeah. still might be better than what the Kings have right now. So I'm just saying. And also, like the reality is, no matter who the Kings go out and get, if they do not provide the consistency that Mike Brown needs, Mike Brown will sit him on the bench and tell him. Like, and that's like, these guys are not guaranteed to crack the King's rotation if they are moved or if they come to Sacramento. I think that's the mm-hmm. big thing too. Mike Brown, they have to earn Mike Brown's trust. Like that's, that's huge versus Luke Walton getting guys and Dave Yeager getting guys That is just like, okay, well I have to play them. I have no other option.
0: Right. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, especially with like how Mike has has talked about playing Keegan and stuff and how, you know, it's just like if when you're trying to win basketball games, you really don't have time to, you know, play integration game. You know, you can't really. OK, let's give Josh Richardson 15 minutes here to kind of figure it out. Well, you what if those 15 minutes are the reason why you lose the game and then that's the reason why you become the sixth seed and all that stuff. So. Um, That's a great point, Matt, like definitely people just because they make a move for some fringe or or seems like eighth guy in the rotation doesn't mean that necessarily we're going to see him anytime soon or 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 even in the playoffs when things matter the most. So um, I don't I don't don't know how many of us thought when Bagley was traded that Trey
3: Lyles was going to be the get from that. You know,
0: they
2: won that trade.
3: They completely won that trade by a wide margin. Should have dropped yeah, I mean, second yeah. overall. <laughs>
0: Honestly. Uh, anything else? Anybody got any wild hot take predictions for the deadline? Does OG and a newbie get traded for four second or first round picks or something? Or uh, wh- would, what do you think's the biggest name moved?
1: I love this report that there might be a bidding war between Memphis and New Orleans for OG because the other team doesn't <laughs> want the other team to have him. I think that would be must see TV. Oh, yeah.
3: That is honestly great. I would love that. Uh, I don't know. There's been some like Zach Levine chatter lately. I could see, yeah. I could see him finally getting getting moving. Like the Heat makes sense to me. I think the Heat would be nice. I mean,
0: does Russell Westbrook get moved?
3: For Zach, Zach Levine, he's
1: expiring. I, so now I, it's I definitely easier.
0: saw a graphic that had Zach Levine with uh, Westbrook, <laughs> but I think they're going to try and move Russ Westbrook anyway. With try. how? T-
1: with how tight the West is, I think the biggest thing to watch from a Kings standpoint has nothing to do with the Kings. It has everything to do with the teams in the Kings range. Sure. How many teams are going to go for it and how many teams are going to bow out. That's what I want to see.
0: Yeah, and just how much movement gets gets made at all with, with that being the fact that just everybody is so close. Does anyone really want to make a definitive move that will make them better or make a definitive move that would could potentially make them worse? How risky are you willing... Uh, How much risk are you willing to put into that move? Uh, All of this and more will be uh, found out this week. The trade deadline is next Thursday, February 8th, or I'm sorry, February 9th. um, I believe at noon Pacific time. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Noon Pacific time. Uh, So that'll be fun. Can't wait for that. We will probably record after the trade deadline, if I had to imagine, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, After the trade deadline next Thursday. So be on the lookout for that episode. You can check out this episode right here uh, on YouTube, though. If you're hearing this right now, you probably have already listened to everything. So uh, no point in plugging that (laughs) now. Go ahead and listen to everybody in here's stuff. Matt George, ABC 10, Locked on Kings uh, podcast, Brendan Nunes, Kings Beat. Kings Pulse, Kings Herald, um, eleven forty. Gonna be on Deuce and Mo later today. Gonna be on a different radio station later today, uh, and is recording his own podcast later today. So we appreciate Brendan for giving us a small portion of his time. Matt, this is part of your obligation. So uh, no, thank you. Uh, for Frankie cardicelli my name is Chris Watkins. Thank you all so much, and uh, bye bye.